If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to John 17. And as you are turning there, let me take the time. I've been asked now a couple of times of why am I picking these specific passages and they didn't say they didn't like my sermon. They just said, how are you connecting it sometimes kind of thing. And there's, there's the reality of when you preach topical sermons, um, there's a, a sense where I'm preaching through uh, a, the topic and then trying to take the scriptures and bring it into it to, to develop it a little bit. And hopefully today will be a little bit more. But part of what I'm trying to do is to get us as a congregation um, and uh, to understand that it's the Holy Spirit that moves He's the one who directs and, and, and guides us. And, and so uh, for us to go through this process of what, is it, how do, what does it mean to live out the kingdom um, in regards to this church, we've talked about the specific things, but none of it matters and none of it helps if the Holy Spirit isn't the one doing the process. And so, again, I'm, I'm trying to get into specific places in Scripture uh, where we're reminded that it's the Holy Spirit that moves and uh, and teaches us through it. So we've been talking about kingdom renewal. That was the, the first week. And so we talked about um, are we a moment church? Are we just something that looks to, hey, we were a great church back then, and wasn't that our glory days kind of a thing? Or are we just simply a maintenance church? We're just trying to, to make sure that we don't lose the people here and just make everybody here happy. Um, so we don't we can still pay the bills and, and and do all that kind of stuff or do we really see ourselves as a movement and when we begin to see ourselves as a movement when we allow the holy spirit to move within us then we understand that we're all missionaries there's not just the, the rosses there's not just paid christians you are the church you are the one who has the ability to go out and to preach the gospel um, to everyone around you and so you ask god what is my mission field that you've set me upon we also looked at kingdom repentance and asking the question, are we sorry for our sins or are we repentant? Do we turn from our ways to Christ or are we just sorrowful that we got caught? We also looked at the kingdom gospel last week. And so the questions that we were asking, are, are we amazed with the gospel message or do we have saving faith? Do we really believe the gospel message? And if we believe the gospel message, what are we supposed to do with it? And we're supposed to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, every day, because it has to be new and fresh. And again, when we get the understanding of how much we are loved by Christ, how much we are loved by the Father and applied by the Holy Spirit, then we can begin to love each other and to the lost. And we begin to tell everybody about the kingdom gospel. And so what we're coming to today is kingdom prayer. What does it mean to have a kingdom prayer? Now, again, this is different than your private prayer life. It's different than the Acts models or your daily prayer, everyday prayers kind of a thing. Because if we're honest, a lot of those become very self-centered, very self-focused. And so we go through a litany of, you know, God, take this. God, help me here. God, do this and everything like that. Kingdom prayer is a little bit different. And it's the reason why I chose the Old Testament passage where Moses is going to God and saying, I'm interceding on behalf of those people. It's an intercession for us between, um, between the lost and God. And we see that very clearly this morning in John 17, but I want to give you a definition from Archie Parrish, um, who's one of the fathers of our, our PCA denomination, and this is how he defines it, and it's there in your notes. Um, and it's a great quote maybe to put up somewhere. So kingdom-focused prayer is not mere instinct, but it is spirit-enabled. It's not man-centered, but God-centered. It's not self-serving, but kingdom-serving. It's not sentimental. 
It's scriptural. It's not solo, but it's concerted. It's not timid, but bold. Not passive resignation, but proactive cooperation. Kingdom-focused prayer is a spirit-enabled, reverent cry of God's adoptive sons and daughters seeking their Father's glory by persistently asking Him for the nations, their promised inheritance. That's kingdom prayer. And those are big prayers. Those are prayers where if God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. And again, it's easy for us or easy for me to come up here and say, we want Brevard County for Christ. But if God doesn't move, it's not going to happen. And so we need to be praying and interceding and asking God to come in and prepare us for revival, for the things that we were meant to do. So we find this in John 17, and look with me, because this is what we call the high priestly prayer. It can be called Jesus' prayer. But this is, this is the last prayer that Jesus offered that's recorded in Scripture for us. Okay? When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. For I manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. And and I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled." But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in this world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. For I have given them your word, and the word world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in your truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world." And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also might be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. So, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. For I have made them known to your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love for which you have loved me may be in them and I in them.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand your scripture. Lord, that we would be able to, to just listen in on the special conversation between the Son and the Father. And Lord, that it might apply to our lives. We might be encouraged and then set forth to be in the world, but not of the world. And to be one as Christ and you are one. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the three areas that I'm going to look at, I'm not going to split it up in the preaching. It's talking about Jesus, others, and then us. Okay, so that's an easy break. But we're going to take a, a different thing and we're going to unpack it a little bit in the sense of kingdom prayer. And so kingdom prayer in regards to this passage is what when Jesus talks about the truth, being in the truth, knowing the truth, he's understanding that we're supposed to be in the word. And so the first thing we need to understand is kingdom prayer is scriptural. Now there's an, there's an application here um, because Jesus has been teaching about God to mankind. And all we have to do is turn back a couple of chapters. Uh, chapters 13 through 16 is where Jesus was comforting and giving instruction to the disciples. He's telling them, I'm going to go away. I will have to die. But this is a good thing. This is a good thing because the Holy Spirit will come back and he will minister to you. And so he's telling them, trying to comfort them of saying, this is a good thing that's about to happen. I know it's not what you want, but this is a good thing. And so he's teaching them about God to them. And so what happens is he's trying to get the word of God to come deep into their hearts so that they trust God in all things. But now what he does in chapter 17 is he switches. And he switches from teaching the disciples to going to God in prayer about the disciples. And I hope you catch what's significant about this because he quits teaching about the Father and he goes to the Father to pray for those whom he's just taught. And so what's happening here is Jesus is saying, I am the mediator before them, Father. It's why this is called the high priestly prayer. And that's not by mistake, because listen, the best thing, the biggest thing in regards to the Christian faith is prayer is the work. So we pray for the word, we pray during the word, we pray after the word, we pray for the application of the word to ourselves. It is prayer is the work. And so what's happening is that makes us have utter dependence upon God. God is the one who moves. So it doesn't matter how eloquent the person is. It doesn't matter how, how flowery a speech I have. It doesn't matter whether I come in here and give the worst sermon. It's God who changes you, not me. And so the reality is that we have to trust and we begin to, to go out and pray. And that's why prayer is such a big deal. But it's also one of the things, if we're honest, that we struggle with, right? You want to humble somebody quickly? Ask them about their prayer life. How's your prayer life? Uh, See, reading through the Word of God, people can mark that off. Yeah, I've read through the Bible in a year. Well, who have you prayed for? By name, specifically. Or who's come and asked you to pray for them and you forgot until you saw them that next time? And then you gave that quick prayer. Oh, God, Kevin asked me to pray for this. I forgot. Dear God, please brush Kevin. I hope whatever he did is okay. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how was that issue? Oh, did you pray for me? Yeah, I was praying for you. So we struggle with that a lot of times. But the reality is the more we have to figure out that we have to go to God. 
Let me give you um, a story. Um, it's a story of Spurgeon, and, and maybe you've heard this, but Spurgeon's conversion story is Spurgeon back in 1850. He was 15 years old, and he was going out, and he hit uh, a huge snowstorm. And he was on his way to church. But the snowstorm is so bad that he has to stop. He can't get all the way to the church that he was going to. So he stops and goes off to the small Methodist church um, off to the side on the road. And so he gets in there, and what happens is that there's only 12 to 15 people in this whole church. So obviously he's someone who stands out a little bit. Well, the other thing that happens is that because the snowstorm is so bad, the pastor can't make it. Well, obviously this is before cell phones. So he didn't call up somebody and say, hey, not going to make it. The snow's too, uh, too deep. We would, today we would have canceled church. Okay. But they walked out in the snow and they went to it. They were going to have church together, but the pastor doesn't make it. So they're all just kind of looking around, sitting around, staring at each other. So one of the older men in the congregation gets up and he says, I only know one verse, but I think I should preach on it. And so he proceeds to give this verse. And as he gives this verse, he breaks it down statement by statement. And then he looks at Spurgeon and he says this, what about you, young man? Now, there are things that I do awkwardly here, but what if I called you out by name? And not just as like an example, as a friend in the sermon of I always pull um, Neil out because I know he's not going to kill me or anything like that. But if I came down there and I started naming you or to say, now, where are you with Jesus Adam. Now, imagine that. But this old man comes, preaches the gospel to him, asks him, and he says, you now, sir, have to answer the question. Nothing like being put on the spot, right? This is what happened. He said, and you will always, he said to Spurgeon, you look miserable and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now in this moment, you will be saved. And then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Christ. And he said at that moment, in that midst of that sermon and the prayers that they had for for him, Spurgeon said the cloud was gone and the darkness rolled away. And he becomes, in essence, in this, probably the last few centuries, the greatest preacher of all time, especially in Europe. Prayer. Prayer is the tool. So it, it doesn't matter. You can have one verse that you've memorized in your life. And if God wants to use it, he'll use it. So be bold. Go out and preach. Because here's what happened. When, we in the, when we're in the word, when we're praying for the word to have what it's supposed to do, then it's a call to obedience. And again, it has to be spirit-enabled, which means we, we don't just go out and, and give gospel presentations just because we know the words to say. Where is the spirit leading? Where is that guidance? Where is the power that comes through the spirit? Because when the spirit moves, they hear the word. People hear the word and it affects them and it infects them. Now, some people, it ticks off. Some people are going to be offended by what you say. There are people, and I try not to tell people what I do for a living when I meet new people. Because here's the reality. It either does two things. People have either been who they are normally, and they've been been cussing in front of me. They've been normal. They can have drinks in their hands. They can do whatever. But as soon as they know that I'm a pastor, oh, sorry, pastor. I didn't mean to say that. You're okay. I don't cuss back at them, but it's like, it's okay. Or... 
it becomes super holy after that. Now, the reality is, some people, when I tell them I'm a pastor, start to cuss more at me. How dare you, you blankety blankety blank, and you guys are all judgmental, you blankety blankety blanks, and you don't care, blah, 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 and they just start rattling off. But then there are others who, when they hear the gospel message for the first time, break. When they understand that God loves them and isn't condemning them, they break. And so the Holy Spirit begins to move, and so the Word begins to affect and infect, and then there's the reality of them responding to it in obedience. And so our kingdom prayers have to be scriptural. Are we praying scripture back to God? Do we, do we go back like Moses? Remember, what was Moses saying? God, these are your people. You did this. And if you don't go with me, then we're going to look really stupid. These are your people. This is People are going to know you by how you walk with them and what you do with them. Claim God's promises back. Preach, pray scripture to everyone around you. So the first thing you have to understand is kingdom prayer is scriptural. The second thing is kingdom prayer is God-centered. Now, again, what's happening here in John 17, and I want you to kind of get this picture, is you're kind of looking into the Holy of Holies. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen, you're listening to God the Son speak to God the Father. Do you understand what kind of privilege that is? God the Son is speaking to God the Father, and so there is an intimate conversation that's happening in John 17. And we get to listen in. John Calvin said this, in this passage, we see the soul of Jesus. And so what's happening is that in the midst of this, as we look into the Holy of Holies, this place where God finds himself, remember what the Holy, the Holy Priest does, the High Priest, once a year, remember? He's allowed in there one time. But what's his purpose? He's there to intercede. God, I'm coming before you and I have paid the price. I have sacrificed. I've taken the blood and I've sprinkled it upon myself. And I come and I sprinkle it upon the people so that you might receive us. And I'm interceding on behalf of the tribes around the world, the children of God, the people of God. I'm interceding. God, please don't destroy them. Save them. Forgive them. Show mercy to them. I am interceding on their behalf. And that is what Jesus is doing. But he doesn't get to do it as a high priest only. He comes and says, Dad, Daddy, here's the people that you gave to me. And I'm begging you, forgive them and love them the way that you love me. And I want that to sink in because I'm telling you, I think I'm a loving guy. I'm just a big teddy bear. I really am. I'm not a mean person. And I love my wife and I love my kids. And I love a number of you. And there's a lot of things I would do for you and give to you. But I don't think in my selfishness and in my sinfulness have ever said, God, I want you to love them as much as you love me. God, I want you to love them just a little bit less than me. Yes, love them, but love them a little bit less. Jesus The only true, perfect son looks at us and says, Father, forgive them and love them the way that you love me. And so he gives us that insight. And what he does is he shows us the burden of his heart. Listen, this is the prayer right before he's going to face the cross. If you're on your deathbed or you're in your last moments and you know you're going to die, what 
as the last thing that you're going to say. You know what Jesus says? Father, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be glorified. And you know what, Father? I'm going to pray for all those that are left behind. And please protect them from the evil one. Because he's going to look to destroy them. And only that, Father, I want them to be unified. I want them to become one. Not divisive, not mean, not seeking to kill one another. Whether in physical ways or, or with their words. But they be one, that they build one another up, that they confess to one another. And then, Father, send them into the world. That's the burden of Jesus' heart, his last prayer that he gives. And so how should we take that? How should we experience and, the, and know the love of God? Because I want you to truly understand that, that Jesus, and don't let this be lost on you, Jesus prays for you by name. Do you know how busy he is? Do you know, one of the things my son does, he has, I don't know if it's a weird app or whatever, but he wakes up and he gets a new picture, like a, a Hubble telescope kind of picture of the universe. Okay? And so he's out and he's like, doesn't this look cool? Doesn't this look cool? And you know what? They're finding that they, they, um, the universe is bigger than they originally thought. You know what that does for me? That means God is far greater than they ever understood. Why do I say that? Because it says that God numbers the stars and he knows them by name. Now, to look at that, and that's like CEO kind of stuff, right? If you're building planets by the very words of your mouth, you're getting bonuses. But that God who's bringing planets into existence by his words says, I am praying for you by name. And I know you so intimately that I have counted the numbers of hairs on your head. And I know some of you make jokes. It's easier for some people than others. But still... I love myself a lot. Most of us do. I have never once counted the number of hairs on my head. Never. So the God who creates the universe prays for you by name. So never, ever think that you're insignificant. Never. Because he loves you. And listen, his love for you didn't start at the cross. Jesus says very specifically, Lord, love them the way that you love me before the foundation of the world. God has loved you perfectly and has prayed for you by name over and over and over and over and over again. And here's the cool thing. You ask Jesus to pray for you. He never forgets. You are loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So have that vision that you don't just, you're not just going before God. You're not just groveling before God. You're going before your heavenly Father that you get to call out because you're adopted sons and daughters. Dad, please save this person as you saved me. May your kingdom prayers be God centered. And then the last thing, may your kingdom prayers be kingdom serving prayers. What do I mean by this? The two groups of people that Jesus prays for in his prayer, the first one is the church. Father, I'm praying for my bride. My bride. 
I'm giving my life for my bride. And these are the people that you have given to me. Let them be unified. Let them be protected. Let them understand how much I love them. But then he goes on, he says, but I also send them into the world. And the question becomes, even though we're in the world and not of the world, who's praying for the world? Who's praying? Who's praying for our nation? Who's praying for the upcoming election? Who's praying for the members of Congress and people in the Senate? Who prays for our local government that's around here? Because if it's not the church, then nobody is. No one's praying for them if we're not. And so Jesus comes to us and he says, I want you to pray for the lost. I want you to pray for the world. And I know you're not of it, but you need to pray that they might come and to have the saving knowledge of grace, that they might understand the gospel. We are the only hope they have. And so I get excited about this. I do. Because God is calling us. He's not just calling me. Just because I'm paid doesn't mean that I got this um, super bat phone to God. I don't have a higher number of people that have to go out and save than you do. God comes in and he says, Jeff, are you praying for the world? Have you taught your people to pray for the world? Now go out and pray it. Pray in the spirit. Pray the the scripture back to God. Claim Brevard County for God. God, you have said your kingdom would come. You said you're going to build your kingdom. You said the gates of hell will not prevail. So Lord, use us to go out and do it. And as we're doing it, let us love the way that you love. Let us remind people out there who are dying, dying to be accepted, dying to be loved for who they are. Go and give them the love of Christ. And as you give them the love of Christ, preach to them the gospel. And remember, it's a movement of God. It's not human ingenuity. I don't care how many new things come out. If God's not in it, it's not going to be effective. But if God's going to move, watch and be amazed. Here's what it says in regards to revival. Revival is when God, in his sovereignty, restores his people to the purpose for which he made them. We don't create revival. We watch God move and start revivals. The question for us is, will he let us be a part of it? Again, one of the greatest things, God doesn't need you. He wants you. And he says, come and pray for all those around you. Pray for your places of business. Pray for your neighborhoods. Pray for um, the scouting thing you're in. Pray for the school that you're in. Pray that God would come and start a move it in such a way that you kind of look and go, well, I, I don't know how this happened. And God goes, exactly. But you were available and I used you to build the kingdom. I used you to build the kingdom. Now, Let's be realistic. Just because you might say the prayer today and you really mean it, God, give me Brevard County. Do you think God allows us just to stop one time? Usually not. Is prayer hard? Yes. But he calls us for long and consistent prayer over and over and over again. Why? Why why do you think he put Abraham and Sarah through the the process of waiting 20 years for the answer for a son? Why? Because God said, I'm going to do a miracle. And what did did Abraham and Sarah try to do? They tried to do it on their own. So they get excited. Hey, we're going to have a kid. One year goes by. Oh, that's not so bad. Five years go by. When's this kid coming? And you know what? You're getting up there. 
They're already 80-some years old. Now they're 90. Where's the kid? I know what we'll do. We'll fix it for God. We see how well that worked. They wait 20 years for the answer. Trust God. One of the boldest statements I've ever heard, because sometimes I'm, I get timid for God. God, please, you know, please save Brevard County. God, please save, well, maybe not whole Brevard County, but maybe the Republican Party. I don't know. But I start trying to make it easier for God. I need to be praying bigger for God. You understand that? God, please give us all of Brevard County. One of the boldest things I heard from a pastor said, he said, I truly believe that God's going to save everybody that he's laid upon my heart. And I was like, that is really arrogant of you. And he said, well, why would he put him on my heart if he didn't intend to save them? So let me think about that one. May it be you leading them to Christ? You don't know. I've told you stories, true stories of people 90 years, 90 years down the road remembering lessons that they heard at vacation Bible school is bigger than we could dream or imagine. Take him out of the box. Pray big kingdom prayers. God, change us. Change the world. Change my heart. Change my home. Change my church. Change the world. Amen? And I'm telling you, you, the church, can be far more effective than I ever dream or imagine to be up in this pulpit. You are the church. Be spirit-led and watch God move. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we need to come to you to find that encouragement, Lord. We need the prayers of Jesus to come to us and to wash over us and to, to grasp onto the understanding that, again, Christ is constantly changing us and transforming us into his likeness. And so our, our prayers become his prayers, and his prayers go directly to the Father in the power of the Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that we are a church that is hard and consistently praying together, boldly in the Spirit, that you would change this world. But Lord, not from us looking on the outside in, but Lord, that we would be a part of it because we want you to be glorified and honored here, here in Brevard County and around the world, both now and forevermore. Amen.